Hello, and welcome to Final Show Films. I'm John, or Sinstaku, as you might know me on Twitter, the executive producer here, and I just want to thank you for watching. It really means a lot to us that people watch, listen to, and enjoy our shows. If you want to help us keep making these shows as fun and lively as they can be, please join your fellow fans in supporting us at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fsfilms, or by subscribing to our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash finalshowfilms. It really means a lot to us that the amount of you who do support us continue to do so, especially our $25 plus tier supporters on Patreon. Antitonic, Catwater Flame, Samantha Bates, Maureen Monty, and Gravity Alexander. Every little bit helps, so thank you to all of our patrons and subs. Check us out on Twitter at Final Show Films and on our website at www.finalshowfilms.com for updates, go live notifications, and more. We love interacting with you, so feel free to tweet at us or email us at finalshowfilms at gmail.com. That being said, please relax and enjoy. Hello everybody, welcome back to Critical Thinking episode 46, where we're talking about Critical Role episode 45, Those Who Walk Away, starring Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Talison Jeffy as Percy, Liam O'Brien as Vaxodon, Marisha Ray as Keyless, Sam Regal as Scanlon, Charles William as Grog, Matthew Mercer as Dungeon Master, I am John, at John A. Bates on Twitter, joined by Jack. Hey everybody, I'm Jack, at AltF4Gamers on Twitter. And Jeremy. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm uh, uh, at J. Thomas. Fr- How do I not know my own fucking Twitter pa- account? <laughs> I have no when idea. it has my goddamn name in it. <laughs> J. Thomas 411 Mania. And while it may have sounded like I did that opening part backwards because I forgot how the format goes because we haven't done this in a month or more, uh, I was actually. Once doing- and a half, six weeks. I was actually doing it backwards because our format is backwards because I'm not doing the first part this time. Jack is. Yep. And I watched it. I definitely watched the first part of it. No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I did not accidentally watch the last part and had to go back and review several weeks ago, but we are here now and that's what counts. Um, beginning the episode, they have left uh, the region surrounding Vasselheim. Wait, 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 wait. You forgot the previously on part. Previously on Critical Role, some shit happened because that was seven weeks ago and I don't remember. Some shit um, happened. That, uh, uh, they fought a beholder. Right. Uh, they died. found their first vestige of... Let me do it in the right order. Oh, okay. Shit happened. They fought a beholder. They found the they they found the the Raven Queen's armor. Um, Percy was an idiot and touched because it was really late in the night at that session, and he forgot to he didn't even think about it. Uh, Vex died. Big <laughs> drama. Vex offers his soul. Vex comes back. Raven Queen happened. drops in for a cameo. See, Jack, if you're going to take over the beginning slot, you have to take over all aspects of the beginning slot. You mean like sloughing off the duty of doing the initial recap to somebody else? Exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like I'm I feel like I'm performing according to specifications then. That's nice. Um, yep. And then they go to bed and stuff and then they wake up uh, <clears throat> and then they teleport to uh, Vassal, uh, Whitestone from the Vasselheim region, uh, probably transit 
transported via plants or something, sundry, etc., etc. Did they did they teleport with? uh zara and yes zara and cash are cash? still in attendance okay although the players are not when this episode opens um so they've been npc'd by mercer um but yes the the curtain rises on everybody having gotten back to whitestone and figuring stuff out um so the people that are with them that are not actively being played by people uh, by the players at the table um but in terms of vox machina allies that are along for the ride and now setting up shop in whitestone as well primarily zara cash and lady kima um and then there's a sort of weird little <laughs> dynamic that begins um because everybody's back in whitestone but there begins the sequence of catch-up of Kima asking where Alora is and Cash and Zara trying to figure out what their job-slash-duties-slash-deployment is going to be in opposing the Chromacom Clave from the Whitestone base of operations and this sort of thing. And I wanted to sort of throw it at you guys. What do you guys think is the best technique or what are your, some of your favorite techniques when it comes to recapping for the actual characters because there's recaps for the viewers that usually happen at the beginning of an episode sort of like we just did right here right now um but when it's an actual character in the narrative that needs to be informed of things that the protagonists or the audience are already well aware of how do you execute that so i mean go ahead well i've got I've got two different favorite ways to do that. One is uh, in in actual narrative storytelling. Um, when mm-hmm. someone has to be when when someone has to be recapped, if it's something if it's something that the audience already knows. Actually, I do this in in in, in GMing as well. But it's like um, if it's something the audience or the players already know, but the characters don't necessarily know, uh, then. Uh, just shorthanding it is the easiest way to keep the pace going without, because they, some some people do have a tendency to recap laboriously every single aspect of a thing when they're writing. I love the book series, but Wheel of Time <laughs> has this I tendency. I do not love the book series. Fuck Wheel of Time, but. <laughs> But yeah. they have a problem where we get the experiences that we just had in from a previous character's perspective retold to us from the new character's perspective over Robert, and over and over again. Robert Jordan needed a fucking editor. Uh-huh. And somebody to make his main character not horrible but that that's a side point anyways go ahead um but <laughs> but yeah so like but but rather than rather than that because the problem that i have with that in particular i understand there are people that love that and that's fine if you really love getting all the intricacies and details and minutiae of one particular person's take on a thing that's fine I have ADHD and don't have that kind of an attention span if I'm not 
like already riveted to it. And if I'm already uh. riveted to it, if I'm already hyper-focused on it, I have already written in my head your character's reaction to it and don't need to hear you countermand that. <laughs> so... Um, and, and, and while, while that part, that part is just, that part at least is just my taste, not necessarily a, a thing I would suggest for others. Th there is something important to note of keeping the action moving, keeping the story going. And when you take time to recap, like painstakingly recap, that is brain space and time you are wasting. Um, think about, think about whenever you're listening to somebody tell a story at a bar, the fifth time they've recapped the beginning of the story, you have just tuned out and you're not going to be, you're not going to care about what happens after that beginning part because you've heard the beginning part five times now, uh, or watching TV shows. Uh, there's one, there's one TV show, uh, anime in particular called Black Clover, which I love the story that it's based off of, but the anime devotes about 10 to 15 minutes of its 29-minute runtime to the previous episode. Or events that happened before the commercial break. And if you're watching it on a service that doesn't have commercials, then that's events that just happened. Um, and and I can't watch that show because I'm only getting, uh, what's ostensibly supposed to be a 30-minute show, I'm only actually getting about 10 minutes of content. Um, and that it, it, the, the repetition just drives people away it drives, it, it drives people to boredom because they know it already they want to see the new stuff so just glossing over it just going you explain what's happened and moving on if it is information that one player might not know or that like um, what happens a lot with us is that a character won't be there, a player won't be there, so the character might just either vanish or have an excuse to not be there. And so now we're making a recap for that player. In that case, I will either have a critical NPC uh, do the recap in, in very much the, um, what is the, the, the standard um, mission briefing style? Mm -hmm. that, that that we often get in, in TV shows and narratives where, uh, you know, a very important character will say, all right, look, you know, where they're informing the characters there something that they already know, but the audience something that they don't. So they're they're recapping it as a mission briefing because these things ha these things are believed to be something that has to get repeated enough so that you'll always remember it. Um, or let, let's either do that with an NPC or let my players just say, tell them what happened. And then let that one is more fun for me because then the players can fuck it up. <laughs> and so you have you have un you have unreliable narrators within your unreliable narration. <laughs> Jeremy, what do you think? So I have uh, I have a couple of thoughts about it. Um, I also don't like an a a ridiculous amount of detailed recap. Um, it's funny that, uh, or, or constant references back, like the, the constant need to reinforce information again and again and again. Mm -hmm. It's funny that, 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 uh, uh, John referenced, uh, um, 
You just said the name of the show. Black Clover? Black Clover. Um, not in reference to that, but my, my immediate thought was another show that John and I are both familiar with, which is Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh! is really fucking bad about that. 90s like, anime in general was really bad 90s about anime it. in general did that, Which yes. is why Black Clover is particularly frustrating, because that's from last year. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> um, like, I have not watched a lot of Dragon Ball Z, mostly because I can't stand the, like, five or ten minutes that I did watch that was basically just that. Yeah. Um, but... So that kind of stuff drives me up the wall because I'm not my the thing I always the 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 point that I that I always try to make when you're talking about narrative storytelling and this most strongly applies to television or film television most strongly but no matter what format you're taking you have a limited amount of real estate in which you can do your storytelling um even even if it's if it's a novel or it's a digital novel and there's literally no 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 physical limitation or budgetary limitation or anything like that you still have a limited amount of uh, of space because there's only so much <laughs> that the audience will accept mm-hmm. um so to spend some of that really really precious time that you have to spend a significant amount of that just recapping what's come or what what's already happened is infuriating to me um especially for shows that feel the need to take sh- take shortcuts at times that wouldn't be necessary if you spent that time doing this other thing that said there are time there are times when recap is really really useful and valuable and that, for me, is recapping itself can be a storytelling component that has narrative value. So if if it's an in-character recap kind of thing, how the other characters who are just getting this new information react is very important. <clears throat> um, so you kind of have to find that balance between them and that can range to it's going to ultimately depend on what the tone of your show is with a show like our 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 oft referenced buffy um you can do it through a quick quip of uh of of a couple of things um and and pick up the reactions that way and then assume that they get more details once it was off screen if it's something like uh uh more of an like, like military style drama it can be done in 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 a more more uh almost mission statement kind of staccato kind of way or <clears throat> it depends it go it, from a horror film. People just quickly shouted, X died, and that's all the information that they need. Um so it really sort of depends on what your what your what your what tone you're going for and the way that you do these kinds of recaps will ultimately work as its own storytelling device. So I enjoy it as long as it's not half of your installment of story 
<clears throat> yeah, because I, I think with with what Jeremy said as well, you know, yes, how how characters react to the information that they're provided as the narrative within the narrative is told <clears throat> can be an excellent format and moment for character development or character expression. I'm also a fan of the way somebody tells a story. Yeah. Because every recap is, since it's a narrative event, a told story. You can really draw out aspects of that character, their priorities, their focus, their goals, their personality, even, you know, having having someone give the mission briefing using Buffy as an example. You know, Willow is going to offer a recap in a very different fashion than Spike or Anya will. Yep. And there's going to be aspects, you know, if if Anya's delivering the recap, there's going to be an economic level to the recap, even right. though no other character would care about those conditions or possibilities or aspects of the recap, you know. Um, but, you know, and, and the sort of things that a given character focuses on and cares about usually comes out in their storytelling as well. I find. Yep. And for a fun exercise, try to figure out our characters by listening to our various recaps throughout this series. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as the information in the... The situation is explained to the new arrival NPCs. Um, errands start to get run and that sort of thing. Uh, the items are identified. Um, they, so they, they begin to learn more about what these treasures are that they've recovered. Um, obviously, the big one is the armor that was, was found in, in the tomb uh, that used to belong to the previous champion of the Raven Queen. Um, and but there's there's a few other aspects as well. Um, there's there's a, a, a crystal or a, a pendant of some sort that can can hold. A being inside it, which gets Percy very excited because Percy likes traps. Um, obviously, the Deathwalker's ward. Um, and all of these sort of things are are presented then to our protagonists, who spend a lot of time discussing what they're going to do with them without actually doing anything with them. But those events are at least set in place to then transpire later. Vax and Percy have a discussion about what happened to Vax's sister because he, Vax as a character, was not aware of the actual sequence of events that ended up with Vex being dead for a bit. Um, he reacts in a, well, ab about the same level of self-restraint as one would expect from, yep. from our emo half-elf. Um, and, and I, but I think that that the the better characterization moment in there is that it, the one that is established for Percy giving having just come off of an arc where he went very close 
to that line of darkness in his soul and then having this reaction to because the the guilt in his voice is palpable um throughout the entire <clears throat> sequence uh between between Talison and and Liam um and there are once again it's another story that is being told but the characterization that comes from how the story is told what is explicitly stated what is unstated or left unsaid the things that percy literally cannot bring himself to vocalize regarding the incidents there's a lot of very telling character moments there and then more things begin to transpire from the aftermath of that event. They go to scry for Alora of, I think it's Vex, Keyleth, and Kima. Find some clues as to where Alora and Drake Thunderbrand are off to these days, still working on their own elements of fighting the Conclave. Keyleth has to explain to Vex exactly what happened bringing yet another perspective to this now thrice stated on the second recap now of the event of Vex's death, how it happened, what Keyleth was feeling, and her recounting of this same event draws out very specific characteristics of who Keyleth is as a person, her emotional vulnerability, her, 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 instability to an extent of being able to handle having watched one of her friends die um and there's there's a lot of these one-on-one -on -one conversations in the first hour of this this uh episode my personal favorite is the outhouse conversation between grog and craven edge um because you have two very emotional kind of dark, heavy discussions, and then you have Grog talking to a sword while he's taking a shit. Yep. Which is kind of comedy gold, especially with Scanlan being a sort of side participant in that, but Grog spends some time getting to know his sword, as it were. And sheds a little light on this NPC that exists as part of the group currently, um, which, while extremely humorous, also has kind of a darker tinge to it because Craven Edge, as an individual, is not exactly what you call a happy bucket of sunshine. Um, and just seeing how everybody reacts to these various circumstances that they've been presented with over the past days or weeks there's some very good characterization here i really enjoy it but it's all fairly subtle very little of it is lampshaded very little of it is overt but it's all there for an audience to to take part in and and examine and there's some really cool moments there regarding 
the general philosophy paradigms viewpoints of these people who are interacting. Yep. And that's about it for the first hour. Yep. Uh, move, moving on to the second hour. Hi, I'm Jeremy. This is my role. <laughs> this is my period. Um, so the, the, the second hour, it, it's just about basically, basically, uh, uh, a sleep time at this point. Um, there's a little bit of, <coughs> there's a little bit of logistics that happens before then. Percy makes some more bullets, uh, uh, makes a, makes a light siege arrow. Uh, Scanlan heads to Jameson the Painters and gets the, let's call it the idealized portrait of himself. Uh, offering to write Jameson an epic song and giving him an extra 50 gold pieces because it's so damn good. Uh, this is a point where the party goes sleep for the night, and it is appropriate that I'm doing this middle section because it has a Vaxleth moment in it. Because um, Vax goes... First of all, he goes and stares at Vax's door. Um, this is... So Vax is obviously having a lot of issues with the events of the previous, uh, the the previous episode, Vex's uh, death, resurrection, etc., and the fact that he's given himself over to the Raven Queen in order to bring Vex back. Um, so this sort of marks the beginning. I mean, Vex has always been. Vax has always been emo rogue, but this is sort of starting the beginning of a of a of a as opposed to he's been sort of sort of sort of uh, uh, shifting towards that 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 road. At this point, he he puts on a set of like rocket rocket powered uh, uh, skates and just fires himself. Straight down the path to emo. <laughs> um, so he's doing things like staring at Vex's door, and when she goes to check, he's not he 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 stays hidden so that they don't have to talk because he's not ready for that. He then goes over to Keyless door and knocks and 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 gets let in, and they have a conversation about how how Vex is feeling. Um, uh, says he, he, you know, he felt the Raven Queen. Uh, Keyleth asks if he still does, and just to just to add to a, a nice little bit of um, it's not it's not even symbolism, but but it but it's it, it's subtle shading uh, of axes that that the symbol he had on his on his uh uh. uh not really gauntlet, so just hand wrap almost. Uh, to Serenray has been tarnished. Uh, he says he st yes, he does still still feel the presence of the Raven Queen, and wouldn't take back what he did, but he doesn't know exactly what he's done. Uh, Keyleth, and it's such a it's a wonderful little moment of of. Keyleth character. It's not a huge amount of development. But it's just a, a, a great Caliph. I can fix things. Tries to thinks of being 
somebody giving their 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 dedication and soul and essence over to a goddess, she's like, fine, I'll greater restoration it. That'll fix the problem. <laughs> uh, which it doesn't. Um, and then they sort of talk about their feelings a bit. Uh, Akila says she was terrified she was going to lose Vax and thinks that she still might. Uh, they both confess their love. But Keyleth doesn't know if she can allow herself to at this point and talks a little bit about her, her Aramente and how she'll her becoming so long lived, even if everything is a success, even if they 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 all survive uh, 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 taking on the conclave and, and she completes her Aramente and completes her destiny and everything, the happy ending for her is watching all of her friends die. Uh, Vax reacts to that very maturely by turning around and walking away. <laughs> and Keyleth bursts into tears. Um, and uh, for me, I, I, I love this whole scene because not just because it's, it's, it's a Vax Keyleth. Um, th that's part of it. But this is. There are times when 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 uh, uh, reactions and conversations and touching on things needs to be subtle. But there's also times when things just sort of need to be said and addressed head on. You don't have to resolve it in that situation in your in your narrative. But you do. If if characters never talk about this kind of stuff, then. It, it becomes actively irritating a lot of time for the audience. So I want to jump in here for a second because uh -huh. there's a particular note in this scene that okay. I find uh, uh, something that's been repeated often in this particular type of, of, of genre storytelling. Uh, the, the concept of outliving the people you love. Mm -hmm. you, you, you seem to appreciate it in this scene with these characters. But I know there's another character who has an entire story arc about that very concept in which you feel not necessarily that aspect of it, but potentially that aspect was not portrayed as well. Correct. Uh, and oh, hang I'm on. curious let me, about let me, the differences. Let me, let me queue up, Hold let me up. Queue up. Let me queue up the theme song for this, uh, for this recurring, recurring bit. This is where we shit on Drist. <laughs> Yes, I so, I enjoy it here, and I don't enjoy it there, and there's a reason for so, that. So yeah, I, I, that's what I wanted. To, I want you, I would like to like it if you could extrapolate on the differences between the two approaches to that very same concept. So there's a couple of reasons here. The big reason for me is the characters who are talking about it. Um, in this case, we're talking about two t well uh, young young adults, let's say. Um, who, uh, it's, uh, when you're this young, Keyleth is a character who, what is she, 19, 20 at this point? I honestly have no idea. I feel like that's about right. She is, at the very least, she is, she's early 20s at the very, very, uh, uh, uh earliest. Her she latest. was 20 as of the start of her journey. She was 23 by the end of the first campaign. Okay. 
Okay. So yeah, early twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, who feels in a very real way feels the weight of destiny upon her. And well, she is in an era where you know, young teen adventurers in a fantasy story. Everything is supposed to be ideally, and Keyleth is very much somebody who believes in 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 the ideals of a lot of things. For reference, by the way, Vax is twenty eight. Yeah. Um, but ideally, this should be the time that people are having fun and 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 adventures are all swashbuckling and you know, excitement and stuff like that. And this is a great insight into the fact that every time she looks at her friends, it's tinged with that bittersweet sort of, she always knows that. Drist, the problem there is is, is threefold. Um, One, uh, he addresses it all the fucking time. <laughs> Going back he to that pounds, repetition thing. He Motherfucker won't shut up in. about it. Yeah, he pounds it in at every fucking possible opportunity. Um, to he's somebody who how to put it. He's somebody who has, not that it's necessarily better when he's old, that that he's older, but he is very much, and he's in his, I want to say, middle age area when he really starts to lean into this stuff. Um... And it's largely in, 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 in response to... In his case, it's largely in response to Cadbury, and 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 potentially being in a relationship with her. And to, I will, you know, to, I will see her die, et cetera, et cetera. To clarify, to clarify, uh, yes, Cadbury, but also quite often to Wolfgar and Brunner and yes, uh, yes, and the rest. And there are moments early on where he does that in relation to those characters that it works. Like I will defend the first couple of, of trilogies of the dark elf series, because I think that they're very well written. It's the fact that first couple of trilogies, how many trilogies in are we at this? God, I don't fucking know anymore. (laughs) It's just trilogies all the way down. Like there comes a certain point. He writes in trilogies. Yeah. There comes a certain point where, you can have one or two bad, like, uh, okay, I'm not somebody that 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 has a level of vitriol for the final season of Game of Thrones that that a lot of people online seem to. But at at worst, it was one bad season out of out of eight. So it doesn't really ruin the entire show when your bad writing starts to take weight in about the third, maybe partway through the fourth, uh, or partway through the third, so maybe not quite at the beginning of the third, but starts in the third trilogy, and you're on, like, your 10th or 11th trilogy with it, 
and it we hasn't can no longer any better. <laughs> we can no longer say, well, the bad shouldn't necessarily stand for the series. Though I will note uh, that because I, I think I'm the only one here that has read most of the books in the series. Um, he does. Now, I've read most of them. Uh, like up to the current one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he does stop. Uh, he does find his answer eventually and stop. He does. Using. I know he uh-huh. does. Yeah. yeah. And and no, he find the books find other ways to be terrible. At that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, they. It, it turns out the it turns out the answer was having sex with an elf. Uh, who knows? I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, As no, is the answer but... to many things in life. <laughs> Uh, so... I mean, you do you, man. For him, like, this is a point when it's been hammered in so many times that it's not even, like, it is fine for him to have those feelings. I don't, I'm not, I don't need to be reminded of it every other chapter of, like, 12 books. And him as a character again not that he not that that being older necessarily makes it better but this is somebody who has uh who has been through a lot more shit at this point and there are viewing this from a narrative and from a critical writer's standpoint there are so many other ways that Salvatore could have had Drist be be concerned about the relationship, or 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 angst ridden, or the, but he always goes back to that one, and that's what kills me about it. Uh, sorry, I, I my attention broke for a minute. Back to what, okay. what method? He always goes back uh, up to a certain point. He always goes back to the I'm going to outlive everybody. Woe is me. It's it's one of two things. It's yeah. either that or the the holier than thou art bullshit when he starts thinking about Artemis. One of those two ways is how Driss goes emo. So I uh, and one thing that neither I'm are ex- executed well. One thing that I'm interested in in the, the supposition of, I'm curious because it's always the the introspection of Drist is always presented to us via journal entries at the beginnings of chapters. Oh, that's another big problem. Where it's, is it's, it's always <laughs> stop it's fucking always, writing essay. <laughs> it's always Drist writing in his journal. Yeah, which is which I think is fine is a fine narrative way to to extrapolate the internal monologue of a more introverted character. Because Drist yes, is very much absolutely. an introvert. Drist, like, Drist is an adventurer and does all these things, but he's very much an introvert. And yep. so that is a very good way to get at his innermost thoughts, is to have this story that is being told from his perspective open up chapters with entries in his journal that he would write about to himself which would be his process of, you know, going through these emotions and sort of tackling these topics for himself. I'm curious if it would have been better or at least received better on your part if he had had these conversations with Caddy Bree or Bruner or one of these more one of one of his 
elder like friends like Bruner who would have like because I feel like Bruner would have an opinion on this subject. Yes, Bruner have, would have a really being a five hundred year old dwarf. Right. I, I mean, I feel think... like Bruner's opinion on it would have been to smack him between the eyes with the haft of a hammer and say, long life is generally widely viewed as a positive thing by all of these shorter races. Pull your head out of your ass and stop being a whiny bitch. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, but like not even one of those characters. That's the thing is Salvatore is an author. He can create another character. Which he Another, eventually did do, but which he eventually did, but took him long enough. Yeah, um, like he can create another character. Yes, it absolutely would go. It actually, it absolutely would play better because, and this is just this is just Driss' internal tone for me, and it's a it's a third part of the problem, which is the way Salvatore writes it. His internal tone comes off as this weird mix of superiority um, and whiny. Yeah, yeah, like whiny and superior. Yeah, yeah, a little bit superiority. Yep. Like, like, like a valley girl. <laughs> like a little bit, yeah. A little bit. Um, Drist is the valley girl of Forgotten like, Realms. Like, you don't need to... He can have this issue and have it be an ongoing issue that lasts several arcs. That's fine. But it would work so much better if there had been, like, for God's sakes, make a fucking... He's he's a ranger of Miliki. Make a, 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 a priest of Miliki who he talks to as, like, his fucking therapist. Mm-hmm. Or something like that who doesn't solve the problem. Like, that's the thing is, you can't do it with, like, Bruiner or Cadibri or Wolfgar because those characters would fix the issue for him by telling him he's being a fucking moron. I mean, they, um, he did. He did make it. He did make a a a, a follower of Mileki for this to learn from. He just died really quickly. Well, you don't do that. You don't have that happen because you're the creator of the books. And anyways, yeah, it definitely uh, would have. No. It definitely would have played out different. M- better. M- 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 Mushi was great though. Um, for so me, yeah. the for me, my distinction between the two. So, Keyleth is, like Jeremy said, young, starting out her journey, heavy weight of destiny upon her, is starting to sort of confront a lot of these issues for the first time, establishes her very first stated group of actual close friends, people she cares about, relies on, uh, supports, you know, that sort of thing, and is starting to consider this is what my life might spool out to be, and these people will not be there towards the end. I am going to leave them behind as time goes on, and there's literally more or less nothing I can do to stop that. Which, the very first time you confront that kind of concept, yeah, that's going to to rock your world a bit. That's going to set you back on your philosophical heels and make you think about something. For Drizzt, 
the very first time you meet him, he's already got at least first century under his belt, from what I understand. Um, I'm, I'm talking... You're talking world chronologically. Shard. I'm yeah, talking yeah, yeah. Crystal, crystal Shard. shard. I'm right. trying to think not, not Dark Elf. Yeah. Not, not, not his origin story. You know, that yeah, obviously no, the, starts the, with his actual birth. And the Dark Elf Chronicles are the right. second trilogy. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of how old he was at the beginning of the Crystal Shard. He was, uh, he was at least 100. He's I, already. I, he's, I think he's close to a hundred. I feel. I feel right. like. Yeah, I feel like he's close. To but 100. he's already lost a number of people close to him. People that he valued as friends. People that had accepted him when initially he would have anticipated they not. Blah 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 blah. If he's a functional, if he's as emotionally functional as the story portrays him to more or less be. Because he has a level of emotional maturity exhibited frequently, especially as people treat him like a dark elf. Hashtag racism. Um, and he, we're wrong. He was 54. He was 54. OK, but still, okay. he's still. got all those people he left behind in the underdog. Not everybody in the underdog was an enemy of his. You know, right. he had some very good friends there that he lost in very tragic circumstances. This is a character that if they're going to be angsty about the concept of loss, they would already be completely useless as an individual already. Now, the, and, co the counterpoint I would make to that particular part of the argument is that the first time we start hearing this from Drist is the first time he has friends, people who he considers friends, who are not already close to the end of their life, or long-lived races. And my other objection to it is... <laughs> we'll point that out. <laughs> okay, fair, fair enough. That, that, um, my other objection to it is, I'm sorry, if you're going to have somebody having angst about aspects of their life, there are about 12 more interesting conflicts that are apparent about right. Drist right on the surface. This is the boring one. I'm sorry. It is. No, it absolutely <laughs> is. There are so many interesting... Uh, uh, he has uh, issues with violence, and he lives in an inherently violent society. There are aspects about the fact that he is a rejected... There's member huge, of a right the, the, there's the, huge racial aspects right to his the character. racial there's aspects huge religious aspects to his character there are there are huge aspects of gender roles specifically yep. as regard drow society versus surface society you know and things like that you're going to outlive most of your current friends we have bigger fish to fry, my dude. I mean, let's not let. We don't want Salvatore to actually think about his protagonists. So. <laughs> no. By uh, the way, I would like to take a moment to call out the otherwise excellent Forgotten Realms wiki for describing Drist's personality as this. Thoughtful and sensitive to others, Drist held himself to the highest ideals, but didn't expect the same of others. I take issue with that last few words. <laughs> I think I, hold I think that I think standard. you're I think you're reading that the wrong way. He don't he doesn't expect other people to hold him to an extremely high standards. <laughs> 
He still holds other people to extremely high uh, standards. Though. No, I don't think that that's what they were trying to say. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I will say for me, um, the the. The whole I will outlive my friends and other people thing is a very valid, like, it's a yeah. very valid fear to have, e not even if you're, like, even as humans, like, the idea yeah. that, like, uh -huh. I'm, I, I am constantly terrified by death, and the, out and the idea that I will outlive my mother and not by a short period of time. Um, but it's also something that we have seen over and over and over and over again. Drist was not the first person to look at an elf and go, hmm, I wonder if they feel angst about living amongst these shorter-lived races. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that like this has been that this has been a story that has been or an angst or a fear that has been talked about since the concept of immortality. Like... And that's that's actually what makes the the the, the Kila thing more interesting because this is a half elf being concerned about outliving other half elf. Yeah, because mm -hmm. of the nature of it. So it's not somebody who was raised in a society where all of these other races are going to die before you. It's fine. Yeah, like that adds yeah. an interesting aspect to it right this is if you if you are a good enough druid you become virtually immortal yep so that can sometimes suck mm. anyways that was just an interesting an interesting compare and contrast moment there that i that i wanted to mark on I mean, it gave this me the opportunity to shit on, on Drizzt. <laughs> it gave me the opportunity to shit on Drizzt some more, so thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I, I, I live to serve. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, well, okay. So I'm gonna, I, I'm going to very quick. I still off of this same, this same, uh, uh, this same scene. I'm going to take the opportunity to shit on another thing. <laughs> By wow, comparison, uh, double because, dipping. I see. <laughs> yes, because I. Well, okay. So start off with with the positive aspect. The the praiser. I love the characterization here. This feels and and you know it sort of ties into what we we're just talking about, but it feels very natural and earned for these characters. Um, this is <coughs> these are these are character motivations that make sense. These are char character motivations that work. And when I would say when I was watching this episode, I was thinking back, but that's not the case because I watched this episode like six weeks ago. Um, but when I was looking over the notes uh, uh, before we started, I I had an immediate thought that came to mind or immediate, immediate recent thing that came to mind in compare air in contrast. And that is dark Phoenix. So for people who are listening to this in posterity, um, uh, dark Phoenix, the final Fox <clears throat> X-Men movie just came out a couple of weeks ago. I haven't seen it. No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> Like, so, I'm not going to turn this into a long extended rant about Dark Phoenix, <laughs> but, because we just went on our first, on one long extended rant, but Dark Phoenix was 
Watching it as as just somebody watching a superhero movie, it was not a good movie. Watching it as an X Men fan, it actively pissed me off. Um, like it was it was everything that it was a movie that under that that understood the point of the story, but only because it felt like it only understood that because it fumbled its way there. And everything was wrong. And my 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 contrast here is: these are very real. These are very earned character character reactions, character motivations, conversations that that happen. Everything feels natural and feels earned. And I was very quickly drawn to a good story can be ruined by 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 character interactions that feel false character development that feels unearned and that's what dark phoenix is full of uh and not to spoil not to really spoil anything with it but several characters in dark phoenix make ridiculous like over the top inauthentic shifts in character in reactions to things that Jean Grey does that actually betray their characters without changing the scope of the storyline significantly. Like, all the major character beats of the story could easily stay the same if these characters had not had these reactions. There's a couple of things that would have changed. There were a couple of conflicts that probably would have would have played out very differently, but nothing, nothing within this story, from the A to B to C to E, etc., necessarily needed to change. Um, and to me, that just highlights the 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 importance of. Not just making sure your story points are right, because I feel like when people write things, when people create things for television or 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 film, or like Game of Thrones actually is another good example of that, where I think that the story beats of the final season were fine. The some of the character interactions came off as inauthentic dinners. Um so it's important when when you are crafting a story or or you are you know doing role playing game stuff or that kind of thing to make sure that it's not just the 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 big plot moments that 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 work and feel authentic because that stuff is a, for a lot of people can even be secondary to getting attached to the characters. Make sure your character reactions are 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 authentic and feel right and feel earned. And players and viewers and readers will forgive a number of fucking ridiculous story points as long as the characters feel like they feel like you can buy into what they're doing. Um. Anyways, that was my that 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 was my the rant that I intended to go on in this until I got distracted by Drizzt. 
Back to um, critical role. <laughs> back to critical role. Well, I mean, it was still critical. Anyway, yeah. uh, w- we then cut to the next morning. Vax is asleep at Vex's door. Vex opens the door to wakes him. They have a nice little moment. Um, uh, Vex tells her not to die again. Uh, Vex says he, he, she heard he saved his life in a sort of creepy way. Um, she gives him the Death Walkers ward, uh, uh, and the party comes out to see Vex holding it. Um, at that point, they head out to the caves outside of Whitestone. Uh, uh, Vex senses for anything dangerous, doesn't sense anything. They, they make their way into the cave. Uh, uh, Percy gives X a siege arrow. Uh, and they, they've they come out here because they want to test the, the, their, 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 their new magical device. Um, and, and they unleash the creature from the crystal, which turns out to be a large uh, gray and black wolf. Um, we have a little bit of, of animal-to-animal interaction as Trinket starts to growl, but Keela sort of calms him down. And, and, and essentially, they sort of they sort of fumble around trying to figure out how to deal with this 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 new potential friend, potential enemy. Uh, uh, Percy tries to summon uh, uh, the, the 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 creature over, um, who who we learn is named Galdrick. Uh, Galdrick bites Percy. Vex starts to put on the put on the Deathwalker's ward because he thinks probably going to be a fight uh uh Keyleth tries to talk with him uh uh she she tries to get him to obey vax as vax is the raven queen's new champion um uh that doesn't go very well goldrick goes over to grog uh, um uh, uh turns to leave grog basically commands him to stay by intimidating intimidation, which works, he then gets fed rotten dark elf brain ale and dry food ration, and they set they they, they convince Galdrick to guard the town, uh, and the group makes their way back to to, a, to White. Through a very comedic telephone game of telephone between Grog and yes. Keyleth, as Keyleth is the only one that can talk to Galdrick. Correct, but Keyleth doesn't know how to talk to sentient creatures <laughs> yes well, Keyleth and, doesn't really know how to this, person well right and this sequence i really enjoyed because in my experience there's been a lot of things that i've seen where to an extent the more intelligent the animal the more human s the writers tend to portray them True. as now i'm only marginally educated in annual animal behaviorism and that sort of thing but that's kind of bullshit if you're going for any level of verisimilitude to actual real world science anything psychology of an animal is inherently different than psychology of a human for vast numbers of reasons and I really enjoyed this aspect of, you know, Keyleth starts trying to talk to Goldrick and is very attemptedly, anyway, diplomatic and kind and ingratiating and yada, yada, yada. And Goldrick responds zero to that sort of thing. But when there is a 
swift, intense, authoritative pecking order sort of established between him and Grog. Okay, now someone's finally speaking my language, and I really enjoyed that bit as far yep. as all of this sort of thing went. For sure. Uh, I believe that in completely unrelated news, we're going to be running a werewolf campaign later. And yeah, I believe that leads into my next section. It does. Yes. So they play after Galdrick trots off with his new orders to guard roughly the area he's in for an indeterminate amount of time with no real objective or goal because (laughs) because the the characters of Vox Machina never think anything to a completion. Uh, They always stop about halfway through the thought process. Um, Galdrick leaves, and then they get distracted with their new Pokeball. Uh, We call it, eh, good enough, (laughs) Tess. Um, I mean, I feel like that's the motto of most adventuring parties. It party. very much is. There's that, and then there are the adventuring parties that think things far too much all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> but enough about the Eberron game. And then there are people that have parties that are consistent of half one, half the other. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> Anyways, uh, so they play around with their new Pokeball for a little bit, discovering that they can house anybody or anything in it temporarily and then deposit them outward uh, later. Determine that they're going to need to pack for their... Ne- determine that they're going to need to pack, uh, get some groceries for their next leg of their journey, and also decide between going... Uh, traveling after Grog's herd for the fist... For, the, for one thing, or to go to... Pyra, or Pyra, to check on the fire shari that are there. After about 30 minutes of debating whether or not to do one or the other, they decide they're going to go to Pyra, and that they're going to have a, a hero's feast before they leave after they wake up with the help of Pike. Um, and that Percy and Keyleth are going to go brew a potion of fire resistance that they're never going to use. I'm going to spoil that now. They never use it. Uh, <laughs> um, but while all of that's happening, while they're making their preparations and they're brewing their potions and they're sleeping after Grog fails to find a brothel in town uh, because Percy does not know where the brothels might be or if they might still be operational, uh, Vax goes to talk to Scanlan. Uh, and he asks Scanlan, how do you do it? The it that he's referring to being, stay positive in these trying times. Uh, to which Scanlan responds, well, it was shittier before I knew you guys. It's less shitty now, so I'm happy. Which strikes me as some interestingly, interestingly, primarily because I don't think it applies to Scanlan, but is kind of a trauma survivor thing. Uh, at least for me, it is. Where it's like, how do you deal with the shit that happened to you in the past? It's in the past, and I have to put it there, or I will never be able to function again. Um, I find that interesting, interesting, and that's just not a, not a topic, but personally interesting to be coming from Scanlan, because as far as I'm aware, and correct me if I'm wrong, Scanlan, at least at this point, is not a trauma survivor. 
Am I wrong about that? That we know of. That we know that of. That we know of. I think he's a trauma survivor in the effect that he's probably created a good bit of trauma that he has survived. Um, but but yeah, I I find that that particular response to be very interesting and very close to home for me at the very least. Uh, but I wanted to use that as a jumping off point to talk about how people handle death in games. Um. And, and because I find I find that there are two interesting th- camps of thought about death in games, and I don't think either one of them are wrong, although I do think that some representatives of each tend to be unkind towards the other. Um, wherein there are some people who react to death in games very viscerally and very air quotes realistically. I say air quotes realistically because there are a wide variety of realistic ways that you can react to death. One of them is emotionally. Um, people will, they, which has been basically what Vax has been doing this entire time uh, throughout this episode, where Vax has been very much concerned about his sister, concerned about his own emotional state, going into this emotional, you know, traumatic recovery period. Uh, between him and Vex and him and Keyleth, uh, and very much in character is the word I want to use, but it's not actually an applicable term, um, where it's very much in themselves. They are about their emotions and about how it's affecting them, and they want to focus on that from a narrative perspective, and that's fine. That's That's a very good and reasonable way to deal with death in games. The other method is the one that Vex is going through at the moment, which is to brush it aside and leave it for later. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I, I people often refer to this as the gaming way of dealing with death, but is the way I deal with death in reality. Which, which is why I said earlier that it is also a realistic way to deal with death because not everyone yeah. can not everyone can grieve openly and publicly and like or even immediately or, or even immediately because sometimes shit needs to get done and you don't have the time yep um and i find it interesting uh, the, that that these two camps not only exist but that they have such not uh, not ever again not everyone but certain members of them have such unkind attitudes towards the other and i want to know what you guys thought about that particularly the interaction between the two i like... mean go ahead jeremy my characters have run the gamut because for me it's always about the individual character and what they think of it and and and, and uh, how they react because mo- everyone's going to react differently to situations for a variety of reasons. Um, I think generally with my characters, they tend to fall a little bit in, be- in, in the middle with a couple of exceptions in that they will, they will definitely internalize it and not have necessarily a huge outwardly emotional reaction but they won't try to no-sell it. Um, I find that character reaction to death is one of the most interesting and, and, and 
potentially deep and character revealing things that somebody can go <laughs> through in a story. Um, that probably says a lot about the kinds of characters I play, but like you tend to get a lot more of a reveal from some, a lot more of a lot more insight into somebody from being hit by tragedy than you, than you do by getting hit by, um, uh, uh winning the lottery, right? <laughs> great thing. Great triumphs. Um, so for me, I always find it interesting and the, the interact, the clash between them can be, can be really interesting because it helps bring, like, if you have a character like mine tend to be, like I said, that internalize that more. They need that conflict with somebody over the situation to bring it out. So I really enjoy sort of the conflict that comes from 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 a large group of characters when somebody dies. Like I can think of of several of the games that we've done. <clears throat> I mean, one in particular. I think that when we come back for, because we didn't really address it in game, but when we come back for 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 Changeling, it's going to be really interesting to see how everybody's how everybody sort of dealt with the death that happened in that one. Um, and you know, obviously, we've had several in 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 our fantasy games where where. That tends to happen a little more, usually when I'm playing a character because I roll really bad. But uh, it's always really fascinating to me to see to to see how those conflicts play off, and I, I am definitely in favor of of having several different sort of reactions to it within within one one incident. Yeah, as far as character reactions to death go, and I know it's something we've definitely referenced before, but I mean, I am still of the opinion that the body is possibly one of the most perfect episodes of television. Yep. Oh my created. god. Yes. <clears throat> and the body is an episode of what? Buffy. The body is a re- is an episode of Buffy. For, uh, for those is, of us that haven't seen Buffy, yeah, yeah uh, um, season 5 uh later a major in- character to 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 avoid being too spoilery right. a major care for a show that has been off the air for <laughs> literally 15 years 16 yep. years um <laughs> it's been off a, it's but, been off air long enough to learn how to drive <laughs> yes a a major character who is not a series regular dies in a both completely unexpected and very normal logical normal way and the entire episode is first of all it's artistically and the artistic brilliant. choices yeah. are brilliant no score 
no score at any point in the film or mm-hmm. in the in the episode. Uh, a lot of the 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 first scene is shot in entirely natural light. Yeah. Uh, so on and so. Anyways, very few, if any, establishing shots throughout the yeah. entire episode. Yeah. But it's all about how the how the the, the different characters react to this situation. And really. when you see that variation. It 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 draws into stark, sharp relief the the fundamental reality that there is no one right or wrong way to respond to loss of any type, death in particular. And. I think one criticism that I would sort of level at a lot of games and i'm not going you know your fun is not wrong on that sort of thing but when there is a loss particularly a player character loss and one of them is dead brushing past it and just moving on and saying okay well we'll just handle that how we handle it even if it's a temporary death even if it's being played in a in a setting where resurrection is possible if not frequent you know and that sort of thing ignoring or avoiding the consequences or the reactions there and not allowing for time to have responses, even if those responses aren't overt, even if those responses are more right. internal. Take the time to explore those. You know, some people will put it in a neat little box and shove it to the back of the shelf because they don't have time to deal with it. Still a response worth exploring with a level of detail. You know, some people will make awkward jokes or refuse to engage with the the moment seriously for any number of reasons still a response worth evaluating and yeah. giving time to manifest yeah. you know and, that sort of and thing. that not, that's my general take on death in game and not engaging with the death seriously is still a valid way right because you're still engaging with with absolutely <laughs> right yeah mm-hmm. i mean i i always find personally I'm I'm generally more interested in the ones that don't have like really overt reactions because I feel like most of the, and this this might just be because it's how I play characters most of the time but most of the time those are the people that are going to have the most long-term effects of it like, like, like to, to to borrow phrasing, like when my grandfather died, I no sold it. Like, well, you'd say, yeah, it's like just, oh, okay. And then, like four weeks later, I just collapsed into a crying ball of pain. Yep. But at the time and throughout the process, it was just okay. This person is dead. I couldn't process it. Mm-hmm. I just I information went in one ear, went out the other. Um. And that is a valid response. That doesn't mean that that person isn't taking that death seriously, or it doesn't mean that they're not affected by it. It just means that they are not capable of 
processing it in the way you are expecting them to in the moment. Right. So yeah, all these characters have have differing ways of processing it. We're mostly seeing Vax at the moment. Um, and I think this is I think this situation is probably a little bit different because Vex didn't stay dead. Right. And so a lot of the a lot of the player like because most of the characters are brushing past it and just not really dealing with it. Um, Vex, Keyleth, uh, uh, Percy and Grog. Percy did deal with it a little bit. Like, oh, he, Percy did. No, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Mm. I'm talking about like overall Vex dying. Vex yes. had died and is now back. And now the next episode later, Keyleth, Grog, Scanlan are very much like, okay, that was done and put to elsewhere. I don't think Keyleth brushed by it really. Not to the extent. More than Vex did. Yeah, no, it, it was person. more subtle. She just simply framed it more in the Vax. Yeah. It, it, within the Vax side of the discussion. But yeah, no, I can see what you mean, though. Um, whereas Percy and Vax have taken it yeah. very, very seriously and very, yeah, very directly and overtly. Um, and then Vex, of course, is like, I'm alive. What's the problem? Yeah. Vex <laughs> <laughs> is like, what, I got knocked out? Fine. Like, whatever. Oh, dead? Also fine. <laughs> like, I'm not... Vex has my reaction. Which is like, okay. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, so, so that, that... We have that moment of Scanlan basically tell, explicitly telling Vex to leave it all behind like a shit in the bed. And then he leaves, and Vax realizes that Scanlan shat in his bed. <laughs> Because Scanlan. Because Scanlan. Um, they rest. They wake up in the morning. Well, most of them do. Percy and Keyleth worked through the night and then fell asleep after making, again, one potion of fire resistance that they will not use. <laughs> You're really hung up on this, aren't you? I, it's, it's hilarious to me when... So, there was this conversation on Twitter the other day about that face when you look in your bag at the end of an RPG and you have 37 health potions uh, or, or whatever the number you guys had at the end of Grand Terror Rebirth um, and I all, it's always amusing to me when people take time out of their day or out of their session to devote to the creation or acquisition of a very specific thing and then, and then never you. use it. <laughs> I I love that. It's 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 intensely amusing to me. <laughs> Fair. Which is why I keep bringing it up because it makes me laugh every time. Um. So they they then pass out, and the party has to wait yet another day. Uh, before they can, or another a series of eight hours before they they get a hero's feast made by Pike. They all have it, and then they tree stride to Pyra. And when they get there, they find that the the place has been blasted open by the emergence of Thordak. Um, uh, because Keyleth has not been through enough trauma yet. This oh no! Last couple episodes. Oh no! <laughs> this is Keyleth's turn now. <laughs> 
um, they find that pe- that the entire mountainside has just been roasted by the emergence of this uh, of this rift and uh, by the opening of this rift and the emergence of Thordak. And there are loose fire elementals and and imps and fire based things sort of scattered about. None none really affecting them at the moment, but just they can see activity going on all around as they progress towards Pyra. Uh, and as they get closer, they notice the activity of some Ashari. Uh, and Keela sort of does a does a skywriting thing to indicate that she is there uh, uh, by saying, basically giving her name and saying hello in druidic uh, uh, in the in the air and there's a response and as they go to meet with this group of people that the, that have responded uh, they she notices that there are more than just fire ashari here, there also appear to be some people from Zephra, from the air ashari, from her home uh, which picks up the pace as she begins running, and everyone else is like, "Oh, we're running now. Okay, I guess we're running now." Mm. Um, to follow Keyleth, who doesn't explain why she's running. Um, they finally meet up with the group of, uh, of Ashari and find that plenty, not all, but enough of the fire Ashari did survive the the opening. Uh, their leader is still alive. Many of their people are still much of their people are still alive. Managed to get away, and they're now trying to deal with the rift and close it before they can continue dealing with anything else. Um, and in solidarity, the Arashari have come, including uh, Keyleth's father, who we meet for the first time here. I think for the first... Yeah, for the first time here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, this is the first time we meet Corrin. Yeah. Corrin, uh, who at first is like, you know, who are these people? What are... Sees Keyleth, immediately drops the, the angry dad act and hugs her. They hug it out. They regroup. They get to. They 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 talk for a little bit. Um, they realize that most of the party already has fire resistance uh, through some mean or another, and so uh, cast protection from the elements, which is why they don't end up using the potion <laughs> on the peep the few people that actually need it um, for fire resistance, uh, and approach the rift in the plane that Thordak ripped open on his way out and it looks like basically like a burning like a burning star in the middle of this in the middle of the space that they kind of can only half look at this wound in the plane and as they approach it and as they prepare to figure out what they're going to do to close it up that's where the session ends uh, for the week I think that's I think that, I don't think there's much beyond that other than there was a bit of a conversation about you know who may or may not be effective at all because there's only two magic users in the party mm-hmm. Keyleth and Scanlan yep um, and they and they're here with a bunch of druids Grog's like I'm not sure I'm going to be any use at all because uh, if it's not a thing I can hit with an axe I can't really fix the problem um, but they sort of set should've, that aside. Should have should have all played warlocks. No, they shouldn't have, because then they'd be dead already. <laughs> as we've learned, it's impossible to balance for everyone as warlocks. Um, Not even a little bit. <laughs> um, but 
they approach, the session ends, and that's where we leave off for those who walk away. Apparently, they walk away from one thing and write into another, is the answer. That is generally how narrative storytelling goes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Any any last-minute touches any either of you want to talk about before we close out for the week? Or for for this recording? I've always appreciated the, the the narrative rhythm that that critical role manages where frequently they manage to dovetail in episodes or sequences of extreme tension peril heightened stakes and that sort of thing with something like this where it's just a character recovery session you know and and the tempo that that creates i feel is is really appealing both as as an analyst and and as an audience member love that every time something we strive for ourselves here at final Real films not even a little bit no <laughs> i try and make you guys chew your nails every single time until you all pull your hair out and die I do, at least. <laughs> That's nice of you. You're a much nicer person than I am. I am, in general, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think anything from you, Jeremy? Or Nope. All right. Okay. So that that was episode uh, forty-five of Critical Role, episode forty-six of uh, of Critical Thinking. Next time we come back, we'll be talking about uh, episode forty-six. The Cinder we're going to be talking Revisited. about. We're going to be talking about fire elementals and zombies and... And zombie fire elementals. Probably problematic guests. Yes. Yep. Problematic guests. Problematic guests. Yes. Yep. This is the Hardwick episode coming up, dude. Ah. Yep. There it is. Yep. Well, that's going to be a ball of fun. There's a teaser for you, folks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> have a I, nice night everybody. i can i can say that i can say that chris hardwick's character is confirmed dead yeah no no eaten by a fire giant eaten by a fire giant basically hmm? <laughs> all right that's gonna be a fun conversation yep yep mm. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. (laughs) Bye, everybody.